we're able to deal with any situation, whatever in life. That is the wonderful thing about human nature, to digest unbelievably painful experiences and grow from them is a remarkable thing. And as much as this chapter is about pain and suffering, it's also about rejoicing the human spirit. Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote in 1952, if we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Wilson suggested that if we could identify and continually surrender these unrealistic and unrealizable demands, that we may then be able to accomplish what he imagined to be the recovery's next frontier, something he called emotional sobriety. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger, who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's new frontier. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. If I say I haven't had a drink for 35 plus years, it's like somebody can mistakenly say that's perfect recovery. I was just reading um, this latest chapter of your book, Alan, and uh, I really uh, like the quote where you say, sometimes sobriety is about not drinking when it makes more sense to pick up a drink. That's and um, yeah, but I mean, like, could you explain that or your the thinking behind that a little bit? Well, you, look, the, the, the vision that Bill had of this and I like to to always, you know, give credit where credit's due, is he had a vision that we could stay sober or clean and sober, regardless of what was happening around us. Mm -hmm. And that means there's some times that we're staying sober when it would make a lot more sense to get high or to get drunk. Mm -hmm. You know, we're all going to have moments like that. So it's some, you know, emotional sobriety is not never confronting those kinds of moments in our recovery. It's about what we do when we are confronted by those moments in our recovery. You know, right. and they're not just, and let's just, let's just make that clear that, that some of those can be moments. I mean, I guess everything's a moment, but some of the things can be extended periods of time. We go, we go through all kinds of, you know, I mean, in a way, in a way, I, I never occurred to me, but we should, we, when we bring somebody into the program, we should, we should give them, take, have them take some vows that say for better, for better and worse. Yeah, you know? right. and, and, and by the way, it's, it's not better or worse when you get married, it's better and worse. And worse. It's, it's, that's it's, right. It's, it is that it, there's not, or that's right. It's not, or it <laughs> is an right. and, but you're right, Tom. I mean, see, see, see the duration of some of these events that 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 life confronts us with, you know, as I wrote about Emily, you know, this yeah. woman that, with the, her daughter in this chapter, which yes. to me, this is one of the most emotional chapters in the book. I mean, you know, I love I, this chapter, I, by the way, I, even just, when I was writing this chapter. I cried again. Yeah. yeah. And I'm telling you, I probably shed. I'm swallowing this right now because mm -hmm. I'm feeling it again. I cried more working with this case than I've ever cried in any other situation I've dealt with in my practice. Yeah. I mean, there was some times that all I could do was sit there when Emily was talking about her relationship with her daughter, right? Mm -hmm. um, oh, Charlene. When Charlene was talking about her relationship with her daughter, Emily. Yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes all I could do is sit there and cry with Charlene. There was nothing I could say because there was nothing to say. Well, you, you were you were you were being fully present. Yeah. 
That's left the he, that's the healing that's the healing part well, of that. That was I the mean, healing part. And for a moment, Charlene felt that somebody was with her and understood and was resonating and attuned to what her experience was, which was, you know, as yeah. you read that, it it may be one of the most challenging, painful, horrific experiences a parent can go through is a child of theirs having cancer treating it, thinking it's cured, and then it coming back, and there's nothing that can be done. I mean, there would be times when Charlene would come in and sit in my office and say, I was with my daughter today, and she would look at me and says, Mommy, what's going to happen to me after I'm dead? Mm -hmm. What's going to happen to me after I die? Yeah. I, I what, what does a parent say to that? I mean, it's you know, yeah, you can throw out a, well, you know, I'll see you, we'll go to heaven. And which I think in a moment like that might be some kind of a reassuring thing for a child, mm -hmm. but to hear those words and be an asked that question. My yeah, God. And, 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 and to then be challenged your, yourself as she, as she was, is you, you know, you can only put yourself so, so far into her position yes. because she's so much deeper into that oh. and, and to be able to stay, but see, she's in that moment with that child doing exactly what you're doing at that moment is to stay present. How do you stay present with that child? That's right. It's, that's where the acceptance of the, this, the, the essence of this chapter, accepting what is, comes in. It's like, it's like you know, I mean, hell, most most of us can tell, all of us can tell stories about having trouble accepting little things. You know, it's it's like I, you know, I can I can probably make up a, I can tell you some stories about this morning about things I was not being very good at accepting. You know, you know this, Tom, and and I think Patrick, you probably have a sense of this. Is that. You know, I have grown so much from the experiences my clients have chosen, you know, to share with me mm -hmm. through the course of the therapy. And, you know, I, as you do, Tom, I know we really consider it a privilege, right, to do mm -hmm. the work we're Absolutely. doing, right? It's, it's a sacred privilege. We sit with someone and they, the way Dr. Novelli, this neuropsychologist, mm -hmm. talked about it when we're examining somebody's cognitive impairment. He says, what you're asking somebody to do is open up their veins and bleed for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what, that's the level that this is at, man. It's, it's at a heavy, deep level. And then we have clients and I'm sure you have clinical experiences like this as well that come in and talk about things and deal with things that just take you down mm -hmm. into the most painful experiences that, that you can have mm -hmm. as a human being. Mm -hmm. And, and look, and so that's what Bill was saying, Patrick, is this, this idea that no matter what we're confronting, if, if we can find a way to endure the pain, that eventually, eventually meaning is going to arise out of that, out of that pain and hardship. And it doesn't, like Tom said, sometimes it'll come quickly. Sometimes it's going to come after years of suffering. You know, mm -hmm. it's not going to come really readily. You know, it won't be part of readily a part of our experience right away. But we, I know what is true. If you hang in there, mm -hmm. you're going to eventually, eventually understand what that experience can mean for your life. And how it can help you take that next step in your development and become what you can be. We're able to deal with any situation, whatever in life. That is the wonderful thing about human nature, to digest 
unbelievably painful experiences and grow from them is a remarkable thing. And as much as this chapter is about pain and suffering, it's also about rejoicing the human spirit. You use the word endure, and I think words that come to mind are endurance and resilience. And the best insights about about our experience are going to come with hindsight. On several occasions, I've worked with several parents who who have lost children, and and I don't, and unlike you, I'm not I'm not a parent, so I don't have that direct connection to that. I mean, but but I can still say from my my experience of doing that work, which I'm uh, uh, very grateful for, is is. I do know that losing, if I, I'm just going to put it in that, that uh, terminology. I know that losing a child or the, or the, the threat of the fear of losing a child is got to be, is the greatest pain that some, that, that somebody can experience. It's, it's, uh, but it's, it's miraculous to see what people can do with it. What came up in the chapter in regards to this um, that uh, I've felt at times, uh, you know, in sussing out how my recovery is working, it's acceptance born of a paradox by declaring we won't accept the situation. We move closer to acceptance. And um, I think we were even talking about that a little bit in the previous iteration of our show. Um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, in your book, you know, this uh, mother, she put. AA in the chair opposite her. She put God in the chair opposite her. Um, and uh, just kind of mentioned by mentioning the unmentionable, I guess, is a way through. And could you speak to that a little bit? Well, you're, it's, you know, guys, you're pulling out some great, great moments, you know, in this chapter in terms of what happened. And that's so true is right by it is paradoxical. Even our journey in recovery starts with the paradox of admitting our powerlessness to find power. Yeah, you want any power? You're going to have to admit you're, you're powerless. You're powerless. Yeah. I mean, see, it, it. the journey begins with that. And it doesn't just begin with that. Our journey continues with that. I mean, that's the way we have to think about it is embracing paradox is a very, very important element of, of our recovery. Yeah. Because it's going to show up, just like you're saying. In this case, she needed to, to declare how she would did not want to accept this how every, every cell in her body was raging against this idea of what was happening in her life and couldn't stand it. And, well, she- and, that, and by the way, that is the acceptance because it's not just the acceptance of the outside. The, the thing she's accepting is that I can't, I mean, did. and again, paradox, like, like you guys are talking about, but that I, I have to fully accept that I am unable at this moment in time and un, and even feeling unwilling to accept this okay and that you're, is acceptance you're, that you're is. practicing that acceptance when you up. say that when, when you, you say that. that and that's the truth it's like you know bingo you you are you are there and you know one of the things that i, I think i got this from from your guy yours and uh, roger's guy nathaniel brandon is just this this or maybe just from you and roger but it's it's this idea and i've been I've been saying this to clients a lot lately is is accept, full acceptance is is always the first step to change. Yeah, that's right. That's it's right. not resignation. It's not giving not up. It's not walking away. It's, it's, it's how to move forward. Yeah. And, and see, and that's why she had to experience that fully. Now, I think the other thing that really stood out to me in terms of my experience with this, with this woman and her experience mm-hmm. in recovery is how unhelpful it was when she would go to meetings 
And people would hand her this platitude of about page 417. Nothing happens in God's world. God's world. That's a mistake. Mm-hmm. That, you know, you say that to a mom who's losing her child, it makes no sense. And there is no, there is no sanctuary in that kind of an idea. What kind of a God would take my child? See, that's what she would say. And I don't want your, I don't, if that's your God, I don't want that God in my life. I mean, are you kidding me? And, and oftentimes, see, people take 417 and add that piece on. Now, I don't, I think it's unnecessary. I don't think we have to say nothing happens in God's world, you know, that's a mistake to go ahead and see the value of acceptance. And I think we can get to acceptance without assigning, attributing what we're experiencing to God's will. Well, we, I, I'll just make the bigger, the global statement. I don't think, you know, I, I think we're missing some points every time we, we say something that indicates that we believe we know how the whole universe works. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's a certain arrogance to that, isn't there? There's a, there's a lot of arrogance to it, and, and it's done to make to make the people doing the talking comfortable. Maybe not consciously, well, but I we, think you know. that's what was going on. Those people that went up to her, they were trying to soothe themselves. They weren't interested. Oh, in people do not. I mean, that that's one of the things I've learned from working with these parents who've lost lost children to to, to specifically to, to suicide is some of the work I've done. And it's like like you know, it's amazing. It's like one of the things that always happens is these parents have to become experts. Or they feel like they need to become experts at comforting the people who try to comfort them because they because yeah. nobody, you know, and of course, the re, the reason talk about acceptance, the reason you don't know what to say in a situation like that is you and you said this earlier, because there's nothing to be said. What could you possibly say? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Words fail certain situations, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, the words get in the way in those situations, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, those situations are to be felt and experienced, not to discussed or to be discussed and to process. Mm-hmm. There might be mm-hmm. a time for processing them later, but not yeah. when you're sitting in the middle of that kind of pain. Yeah. So, you know, you know, that was that was the other part, because you know, I can see how even with what we might think to be our good intention when we're dealing with mm-hmm. someone who's suffering, we got to be careful not to do, to say what we're saying to them to soothe our own anxiety. Mm-hmm. Because look, this brings up anxiety. I'm sitting here feeling it now with my yeah. two, with my kids at home, mm-hmm. you know, and I got a granddaughter coming in, in December, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Danielle was pregnant again, and, right. and she's going to be delivering in December. I feel the anxiety, my mm-hmm. God, confronting something like that. And see, I think what happens for a lot of us is we experience this anxiety. We don't recognize it as such that we're experiencing anxiety. And then we interact with someone to take care of our anxiety. And mm-hmm. at that moment, we're not seeing that other person. We've lost touch with them because what mm-hmm. we're dealing with is our anxiety, not the person that we're interacting with. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not a consciously selfish act. It's like, oh, like you said, a- like you said, we're what we're doing is we're feeling, you know, we're feeling at, I mean, you know, you're, we're feeling at a complete loss. Yeah. It's like, uh, um, I mean, I can, you know, we talk about the little guys in our heads. It's like, no, I'm, you, you know, I'm, you know. I'm, I'm a, I'm a guy, I'm a guy who always, he always has the ability to fill, fill empty space with words, man. It's like, that's why I was so good on the radio. You know, you're not supposed to have empty, empty uh, space on radio. It's like, but the idea is those are times where you leave those spaces open. 
you know, and you don't have to say something you, you know, and that's why though in, in, as you describe today, and as you, as we read in your book, that, that those moments where you're just sitting with and, and, and sharing tears, that's, what's therapeutic. That's what's potentially healing. So this is the difficulty that Charlene was facing the difficulty, unfairness, cruelty, and harshness of life can crush any of us. It was crushing Charlene. She was in a full-blown existential crisis. The foundation of her life was shattered. Her purpose in life was being ripped out of her heart. She wondered why she should keep on living if there is no hope. This isn't the way life should be, she'd tell me. I shouldn't be dealing with my daughter's death. She should have to deal with mine. How can life be worth living if it doesn't meet any of these expectations? She was losing hope as fast as her daughter was losing her life. She was losing hope as fast as her daughter was losing her life. There was, there was, there was an answer to this question, or, or there was an answer to the questions that were emerging from the grief, pain, and trauma she was experiencing, but it would take some effort to discover it. And that's what Tom and I were talking about a minute ago is, 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 to discover those, what can, what the wisdom in an experience like this, it's going to take some real work to get through the pain to get to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really is. And that's the value of having an enlightened witness in your life, right? Someone that isn't going to respond just out of taking care of their own anxiety, like the people in the AA meeting were. Mm -hmm. Hey, nothing Mm -hmm. happens in God's world. That's a mistake thinking mm-hmm. that that's going to somehow give her some, you know, condolence, right? Some right. kind of, it's going to soothe her and give her some comfort in some way. It wasn't. She said something that reminded me directly of what your grandfather would say to you about your father's death. Exactly. And so another piece of that for you that I think is not is not a, a counter-transference thing, but actually just an identif- identification thing. It puts you in a place where you were you were feeling with her because he was he he was lost in the injustice of of losing the, the child the child went before the father. And he and and he, the mis- and not only I mean I don't know if it's I, I, I would call it kind of a mistake and not 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 in a, a, a condemning way but but you know he 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 piled that on you and I'm sorry that he did that but but it's like but he's the the experience that was his experience he was so wounded by that injustice right. acceptance is one of the big ideas in recovery right it really is it's one of the big ideas and then I say it comes in two types acceptance of the world as it is and more specifically acceptance of who we are as individuals see there's two components to that right self-acceptance and acceptance of the world you know those are the two types of acceptance mm-hmm Say that again. Say it, say it again. Exactly well, like you said. Two it. types of acceptance, right? Yeah. Self-acceptance, yeah. acceptance of myself as I am. And that doesn't yeah. mean accepting myself in meaning I don't need to change. By acknowledging where you are, you keep moving. Again, I guess we're back to paradox. That's right. It's so true. I say here, it says self-acceptance is a special flavor of acceptance. It is about understanding uh, who we are at our truest moments, accepting mm-hmm. all that we are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It is about understanding our strengths and weaknesses and acting in accord with both. 
This is a tough job. Admitting our powerlessness is the start of self-acceptance because it forces us to accept that we can't control our addictive behaviors and that our lives have become unmanageable. Accepting that our lives have become unmanageable reaches far beyond the impact of our addiction. It speaks to the fact that we have created a foundation for our lives that doesn't work. A foundation that is fragile and creates an unmanageable life. A foundation built upon emotional dependence and expectations. This is a heavy, heavy topic. And, you know, and you saw, Patrick, as you read, you know, what I love that happens in this book, you know, with Vince's help, I'm able to take you into a therapy session. Mm-hmm. And I'm able to have you sit on the couch next to us and observe and experience what's going on in therapy. And you could, I, I hope you were able to feel, Patrick, what this woman was struggling with and how she was dealing with these things. When she was doing those role plays, you can imagine the emotions in the room. When she was talking to AA, she was raged. When she was talking to God, she was outraged. Mm-hmm. And then I love that moment when she finally got what was interfering with her acceptance. I expected God to do this differently. And at that moment, she saw that even though she had challenged and gotten mad at all those people telling her that this, that there's nothing that happens in God's world that's not a mistake. At that moment, she realized she also had an unhealthy relationship with her idea of God, mm-hmm. that God was somehow supposed to protect her. Mm-hmm. And how many of us have that idea? Well, it's, a, it's, 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 it's tough because we were in very, in many different ways and many different, from different directions. We're taught that we, um, I call it making excuses for God. It's, it's, it's like, we're taught, you know, just, just like, just like the drunk daddy, you know, we're supposed to make, we're, you know, right. oh, well, uh, you know, he loves you. He, you know, he loves you. It's like, you know, why is he taking a nap in the front yard then? You know, it's, 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 you know, it's, and it's like, we have been taught that and, and how to just, you know, I mean, rationalize that instead of, you know, and because it's, uh, because people tend to believe that if they can't pinpoint and, and understand God entirely, then, then basically that challenges their, I mean, I guess it does challenge their belief, but it doesn't mean they don't, they can't believe in God. It's just, we just need to understand that from, from the human perspective, whatever's going on in this universe, it's like, you know, I, personally, I don't trust anybody who tells me they, un- they understand exactly how it works. Right. That's right. They, they, Immediately. I say, I, I'm going to be going to the next seminar down the road here. Just exactly to, right. You know. Well, look, I do. Uh, oh, I was just right. going to say, I do a little bit of work with a big book uh, almost every week. And um, you know, that uh, section page 417, um, it's been a little bit of a hurdle for me. It remains to this day. It has been for loved ones who are also in the program because of that uh, passage. You know, uh, nothing in God's world happens by mistake. But I like how you um, emphasize that, you know, the real nugget in there is the part about acceptance and Mm -hmm. to not miss the forest for the trees. And that, you know, like the whole God thing is kind of like, you know, that's just part of the vernacular of when the book was written. If that works for you, fine. You know, and what we say all the time, right. And and we talk about this is you, we have to differentiate our experience. Does that work for me or not that idea? And some of the ideas in recovery, even though they may work for other people, it doesn't mean they're going to work for you. 
Right. And you don't have to embrace anybody else's idea of recovery and what works for you in recovery. That's the thing that I'll tell you, I think it saved my life is that this program could mean what it means to me. And it didn't have to mean what it meant to my sponsor, Tom. Right. There was room for me to find my rhythm, my relationship, my concepts about what would work in my life. And it wasn't being pushed down, you know, shoved down my throat that you have to accept things this way because I'm a friggin' rebel, man. I'm right. not going to accept anything like that. Right. I've got to feel it, see it, experience it to see if it's right for me. Right. Well, that's, that's the, the, the two, if I had to name my two favorite little uh, slogans from AA, it would be, it would be take what's helpful, leave what's not. Uh, but, but consider carefully, I always add in parentheses, but don't, don't be too quick to that. But the, but the other is principles before personalities to realize that, you know, just you get, you get into this, even with religion, you go like, no, no, human beings put together this stuff. This is, you know, it's like, we, you know, we, we, ha we have to, we have to think our way. We have to know how to think. We have to sort through it. We have to understand it. We have to, to, to adapt it. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it, this is about Taylor. We tailor we you know we don't do a, diff a whole different program but each each one of the three of us as we sit here and talk if we were to describe you know our you know the, how if this were a garment how it fits for us we've all tailored it into something entirely different from one another it's different it's it's it, we have lots in common but it's like I want people to hear that though that it's like your your job our each of our jobs is to find a way for this to work for us that's right that's exactly it and i hope people can hear that because please, if somebody is telling you how you should work the program, there are no shoulds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, go back and read the big book. There are no shoulds in the big book. I've needed people to be really pretty tough with me to, to get my attention with stuff like that. But I'm just so so the idea. What I, I guess I just get cautious there because I know in, in in the younger version of myself that that, that message that I am 100 on board with you with uh, would go immediately to the rebel inside of me that, that just wants to say fuck fuck it to everything. And wow. it's like it's not that. No, it's it's like you know what's one of the experiences probably all three of us have had, which is, which is guess what we had to do rebels that we may be. We, we had to do this somebody else's way. Now, of course, now we're back to paradox, but it's, it's like, but, but the idea is now I, I, you know, I had already been trying to fix this thing before, you know, the whole thing, the, the alcohol part, but the, my, my human part and all this other stuff, it's like, so we, we do fought, we do actually, it's one of the things we've learned in recovery is I think, I think you guys would agree with me. We learned to follow directions for the first time, maybe ever. Yeah. Well, you learned, you learned it as a Marine. I know you did. Well, you did. You do learn to follow directions. That's the other side of it. Even though this is an individual program, you get there by trying this stuff on. Yeah. Say, hey, let me try this on. See what it feels like for me. What does this fit like for me? Does this work for me? Is this helping me improve my life? Mm -hmm. Look, I have seen people, you know, be in, there's some movements in the program that are very, very rigid, Right. Mm -hmm. And that say, this is how you must work the program, right? And I, we don't need to get into identifying those. Um, but what, and that works for some people. Not saying that's not a great thing. Some people thrive in that. Mm -hmm. I've seen other people go to those meetings and walk away feeling so filled with shame. Mm -hmm. And they feel worse about themselves. 
from the same experience that is nourishing to one can be toxic mm-hmm. to somebody else. Yeah. That's the wonderful thing about the program is there's room for everyone. One of the things I've, when you were saying that, I've thought what I've said to people for a long time, when, when people would come from meetings and they say, that doesn't work for me, or AA doesn't work for me, or, or, or EDA doesn't work for me, that, that kind of stuff is, you know, what I'm saying is, is like, okay, well, you're free, what you're not getting at that point is that you're saying it and you, and it's like, you're part of that group. Right. You know, exactly. You're 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 part of that group. And so you're wanting it to fix something in you. But the truth is, it's what you're going to do with it. Yeah. It's what it's what that's the tool. Now, it may be that you put the, you, you, you know, that's why we tell people when you go to meetings, go for a while before you decide. And I, and I absolutely believe there's some things like that that I tell people all the time, you know, give it, give it a chance, um, you know, but then, but then figure it out. I mean, I, people can come to our emotional uh, sobriety thing on Thursday night. And I think some, I mean, people often have the experience that we hear from them. And that, of course, the ones that say that, oh, this is something that's been missing. This is good. But, uh, but I also think we all have some experience in knowing that, that we, we can freak people out Yeah, because, because we are doing things so differently in that way. That's right on. That's right, man. That's right on. When you mentioned, okay. uh, yeah, no. When you mentioned a valued witness, does that necessarily mean a therapist or uh, what are some valued well, witnesses any, that people? An, an enlightened witness is someone who can just bring a very different perspective that is informed through wisdom. Mm-hmm. Like my sponsor, Tom. You've heard me talk about him many, many times. He wasn't a therapist, you know, he was someone committed to his own recovery, done a lot of work on himself, and he was able to help me see things that I couldn't see. He was my enlightened witness, and he has been for 50 years now, which is pretty remarkable. Amazing. That, that you know, I have that kind of relationship with him for five decades, man. It's like blows my mind when I think about that. Well, just knowing him from, from just, just a little bit of just being around you is like, I mean, uh, not to take anything away from y'all's relationship, but, but that man is an enlightened witness. He is. He really is. <laughs> I'll tell you, man, he is so loved through, oh, all over the world. Yeah. You know, it's really remarkable. It's really remarkable. That- I mean, his, his ripple effect is, is just it's enormous. So he really and amazing. Did. He got that ripple yeah. effect. I'm, yeah. I mean, you know, look, when I moved out here, he had knew so many people in NA, they all, you know, have rallied around me to help support the move and were have been very instrumental That's in helping great. us get settled out here, which I'm so grateful mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. You're enlightened witness, Tom. Yes, Tom. I have, I have, I have uh, uh, experienced several. I don't have, I don't have a fifty-year one like like uh, Alan does, but it's like, um, and they have been, they have at times been therapists. Um, one in one in particular is a um, uh, a, t- a trainer in a therapist and trainer in Atlanta, uh, named Jackie Damgard, who who Dee Dee and I trained with as therapist, and it's it became so much more you know part of the part of the, like like good good training is as you know Alan good training is you're in therapy while you're doing it and it's like so you're you know how do you how, what's the best way to learn how to be a therapist is be a client you know and 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 just just watching her interact with me I don't care. 
we, we were on breaks and I was watching her, watching her interact with people. And, and then, and as she, as she took notice of me and took and kind of took me under her wing, uh, it's, it's like, there was just, she's one of those people that, that didn't have to say a lot, but, but, when, but I had so much faith in her and for what I had seen and how she can do work that there's, there are just, uh, um, her, her last name is Damgard, and I call them Damgardisms, and you know that are in me that come out of me all the time. You know, just just uh, are are there, and and one one of them actually was the guy uh, that I hadn't. I did. He died a, a couple of years, uh, three, maybe four years ago now. But it's like uh, his name was Red McCarthy. It's uh, Gene McCarthy from Plainview, Texas, and I really didn't have any any physical contact with him. Didn't see him for much beyond our. By the time I graduated from high school but he taught me magic he he he, i became a magician he and my mother asked him he was an amazing magician even in high school i was in junior so he was like you know the older kid but he took it he took the time uh as a, as a high school kid to come over to my house and, and spend time with me talking about magic. And, and he didn't just talk about the, the mechanics of it. He, uh, um, I, I actually list him with Jackie Damgard in it. And I saw this uh, again the other day, and there's an article, there's an article online that was done several years ago. There was an interview with me about, about both of these people as influences in my life. And he, he taught me so much about how to interact with people but he did it from a point of view of being a showman. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, it was amazing looking, looking back. It's like, it's, it's like, I swear to you, there's as much red McCarthy in when, when I'm working with people, whether it be in groups or individually, there's as much red McCarthy as there is Jackie Damgard in this stuff. And I, that carry that those people are definitely seated, you know, in, in, uh, uh, really nice, 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 big, comfortable chairs on my committee. Uh, and, uh, they always will be Jackie still, Jackie's still on earth here with us. So that's a good thing. Uh, but, but, uh, um, yeah, they're, 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 and there's others, but those are the two that come to mind initially. Yeah. I was thinking of that Mr. Rogers quote, um, anything mentionable is manageable when <laughs> reading your chapter, it's giving voice to the, you know, just this unfathomable pain, these, uh, problems that don't have any immediate solution and uh, in in mentioning them you kind of create a pathway through these experiences with your clients being very life affirming mm-hmm. you know people can bounce back from anything yeah going through going through end of life stuff with client, clients and you've probably done that as well alan and it's like it's like i swear you know i just feel i mean honored and just fortunate as hell because it's it's like the the um, I tell the story of one of those in embracing fear with the, my client Kirby that, you know, that I think she, she taught me, you know, basically that maybe, maybe even I could, could die with some dignity. <laughs> I could never before that even imagine myself dying without screaming and crying like a little baby and having a tantrum about it. But it's, it's like going through that, watching people deal with stuff that I have not dealt with you know, like loss of, loss of children, uh, their own, their own mortality and things like that. I mean, it's the fucking coolest job in the world. There's no doubt about it. Well, you know, the, the other idea I wanted to emphasize here is that's that acceptance is not a passive thing. It is something mm-hmm. we do. And see, yes. I think that's the other message in this chapter. Yes. It's not something that's just going to happen to you. You have to get in there and chew up your experience to get to acceptance. 
it is not something that is just going to follow an experience. It's something that we have to get in and, and to work with and wrestle with the situation that we're confronting with. And as you know, you pointed out, Patrick, sometimes it's declaring, and Tom said that is acceptance, declaring, I don't want to accept this, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? That begins that process of getting to deeper and deeper levels of acceptance. But there's so much pressure, and it is a spiritual bypass to just accept it before going through not wanting to accept it we're just told right in the meetings my god you you're not in acceptance as though acceptance Mm -hmm. begins with acceptance no it begins with not accepting it well one of the distinctions i make in terms of that is there's a difference between admission and acceptance you know we can we can admit a lot of things because we're logical human beings but but the acceptance is that's that's another piece that I think comes through very strongly in this chapter, and and I think through the whole book to, to tell you the truth is the idea that that you know that the, the acceptance is a much deeper experience, uh, and it's it's um, it's and it, for me anyway it requires when you say it's it's active it's, it requires that uh, you know I mean I I am. Uh, I depend heavily uh, in my intrapersonal world on that that voice of tough love in my head is in in my heart the part that says, "Yeah, I, yeah, I get it, Tom. It's hard. This is bad. This is really tough to do." Now get up. Let's go. We got to move. It's like you know, and it's a totally different voice than the, the, there was. There's no implied "you stupid little shit motherfucker," which is what the condemning voice used to be. Very tough always with me, but it's like you know, it's a it's a voice, and it can it, it can cuss at me just as much as the other one did. But it but it does it, and I know it's 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 with love. It's like it, it's not get up because you're such a such a loser. It's get up because this is important. You're important, and it's like we you know you need to keep moving. And, uh, and it's so important to have that, to have that, in, you know, and this goes back to what we've been talking about in the last few chapters, which, which is that self-support, you know, the self-support doesn't just come in the form of nurturing. Oh, you little sweetheart, you, you deserve great things and all that. It's for me, for me, that's, that's, that's nice, but it's like the hard, the hardest part and the part I live with on a day-to-day basis is that tough loving part that actually, that I consider still wakes me up every morning and says, get up. We got things to do. Refusal to be in an adversarial relationship with ourselves, that Brandon quote you use. I mean, yes. that's uh that's right. a that's an idea. Yep. <laughs> I never really that's thought big, of that before. That's yeah, a big no, idea. That's a big that's a big <laughs> idea. And that's and that is what's getting promoted here. See, the other thing I wanted to point out is the other clinical um experience that I describe in this chapter is that woman who came to me um with a DUI and did not want to she focused on all the problems that she had to deal with and not what was causing her problems. I mean, first of all, I think that's an important shift, right? Is that sometimes we focus on the problems we're having and not looking at what are causing these problems. And and it was her drinking. Mm -hmm. She was drinking. She she was drinking alcoholically. And the real important thing that happened in working with her was that she realized the reason she couldn't think of herself as an alcoholic, because in her mind, it meant she was like her dad. Mm -hmm. And see, that's the other thing I want to point out. Sometimes our obstacles to acceptance are because of the meaning that we're assigning to what it would mean if we accepted this. It's, it's language. Absolutely. This language. is one of my favorite things it's, it's to talk about because it's like, yeah. And, and we have to stop and define our terms, def, de, de, define our terms because, because 
Yeah. If, if that's one of the things I always said about alcoholism is, is, you know, I worked with a guy one time, uh, I wrote an article actually for, for the psycho psychological psychotherapy networker one time about this, this, this character. Like he, he had been through, he's in Betty Ford. I mean, good programs, Hazelton, all these other programs. And he was still, he continued to relapse and other stuff. And I asked him one time, I said, does anybody at any of the treatment programs ever ask you if you, if, if you thought you were an alcoholic and, and it just stopped him in his tracks. You know, and, and I realized in that moment, nobody had asked him, you know, now these are great programs and I love, you know, and I've seen wonderful success, but we forget to ask because when people are, when I'm faced with somebody, this is, you know, with somebody says, and I'm thinking you're an alcoholic because I'm doing this evaluation and they're saying I'm not an alcoholic. What I learned a long while ago now is by my definition, they're an alcoholic by their definition, they are not. And that's and and so that idea what you're saying there, Alan, is so important. If as long as alcoholism was her dad, she couldn't yeah. accept it. She yeah. couldn't accept it because she she hated what his drinking did to her and the family. And so for her to think of herself in that same way was just so, you know, intolerable. Right? It's right. like she could not accept that kind of an idea. Yep. And the important thing is, see, like you said, Tom, when you realize that somebody is fusing the idea mm -hmm. of acceptance with that other idea, if you help them differentiate it, they may be able to come and accept what's going on without bringing to it all that other meaning that they were giving to it. Well, I, I don't know if you remember this, but but it's like the very first, I think it was the very first time we worked together in our accidental workshop. Yeah, uh, I was doing a piece, you, would, you invited me to do this piece, and I, 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 and I maybe misremember some of this, but it's like, like there there was a thing where we were doing a place with a, with an ideal uh, a mother because uh, where we needed to get some positive messages in. And what, in the short version of it is when I, we talked briefly and realized that, that the word mother was so negative for, for this, for this person right. that what I think, what I remember saying was that sometimes words are just contaminated beyond hope and we need, we need to disqualify the word. And sometimes, you know, and sometimes we just have to get rid of the word itself. Sometimes we can redefine it, you know, but, but I had a, I had a guy one time that couldn't, you know, smoke was coming out of his ears, but he couldn't handle it when his wife would tell him he was angry. Uh, and then I, I had, it took me, you know, I was just slow, slow on the uptake, took me a few sessions to ask, but finally I said, what does anger mean to you? And he, he described his father throwing he and his brother down the stairs multiple times, you know? It's like everything about this man was was the smoke was coming out of his ears because he was putting all his effort into not being that. That's right. You know, so so we decided to call it irritated. It was like <laughs> the wife looked at me like I was crazy. I said, we're going to you and I are going to call that irritated from now on. It's like like, and it, and, you know, of course, you know, it was it, in our world it's bigger than that. But it worked for him. And he could then talk about it. And he began to relax because nobody was saying you're like your dad. That's right. See that. And that was so important for him to differentiate. Yeah. It was from the other experience. And, once and for somebody to somebody to give it a shit enough to ask that question rather well, than just to, to fight with you all the time. You, you are mad. I'm not. Right. Yeah. You think that it's a question that needs to be done. See, mm -hmm. that's why I'm saying is that this idea that somebody doesn't want to get well if they're having trouble accepting something is right. not true. It just mm -hmm. means that they're assigning a meaning to it that is so unacceptable. Mm -hmm. To them that they can't wrap their head around it. And we don't need to criticize somebody for that. 
We need, so to, we need to and we need to investigate. It's like it's it's, it's the part we, we it's part of the it's some of the parts that we love the most in this work is yeah. it's 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 really creative problem solving. Yes. And and the more we can get the, we get our client to be, to take on that attitude with us, yeah. then we're no first of all then we're on the same side. We're all trying to figure it out. You know, and I and I do this, and I'm sure you do as well. As I, as I, I you know, when I tell people, you know, if I'm doing, if, if you think I'm missing the point, you know, you know, I mean, I can get, I can get on a roll. But I said, you grab my shirt sleeve and just start tugging if you need me to shut up for a minute, so that you can tell me that I'm missing the point. You know, it's 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 like, and I also say that every every every. A declarative sentence I have in therapy is is attached to a a, a a true false question. If you if you think I'm wrong, tell me. You know you won't. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be offended if I think I'm right and you're wrong. I promise I'll fight with you. We'll push. I'll push back. But it's like it has to be what this. You know, it's not what I think. It's what you think. Pull the uh, bullshit lever. Yes. Yes. And it's like, and just, and just, just the time you're gone off on another, you know, I mean, I, you know, you, it's not hard for anybody who's listening to this to, to know, to see that I could have this, this particular problem is, you know, I, it, it, and the older I get, I think the more dangerous it can be. It's like, Oh, that reminds me of another, another, uh, you know, story about myself. You know, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's like, no, people need to feel like, like that one doesn't apply to me. Uh, and for me, then I need to be able to listen to that, but it's, it's like, it's, because too often people, um, or Dee Dee uses the, my wife uses the term. She says, I work with you. I won't work on you. And I think that's, you know, every time I'm reading something, watching you work, Alan, or reading something in this book, that's what you're doing. You're all, it's always collaborative. Yeah, that's right. Well, God, this is such an important chapter, Patrick. I'm glad that you, you highlighted the importance of it. Mm -hmm. Personally, it's my favorite so far, just because mm -hmm. I think it just ties into my direct lived experience in some profound ways. Mm -hmm. Well, it makes sense because it's right in the smack dab middle of the book. There it is. <laughs> I like it. You work, you work in it all. And, well, and, and I tell you what, Alan, one of the things about your book, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that most people, I'm thinking that most people who are listening to us these days have, have, have got it and are following along. But if you, if you say this to the listeners, if you haven't, get a copy of the book because, uh, you know, and all the, how to do that is in the contact and the, the show notes. But uh, it's this thing that you've been doing on Thursday night with, the, with guiding us through the 12 steps with the, with the emotional sobriety lens. And and you're basic, really introducing me to 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 the, this idea of how each each more specifically how each step builds on the other with, with the charge and discharge. Your book does that. I'm excited about the idea of us doing the twelve big ideas. Of, I, me too. Oh man, but I've already I've got almost six of them, so I'll send them over. To okay, you. okay, we'll, okay. We'll work on the list and start writing. All right, good. Next week we're on to the next chapter. This is where I would actually invite people to say if 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 you know what we're talking about today brings up any specific questions or thoughts, send them to us. We I I love to work off of you know it's interactive. I like to work off people's yeah. questions. I love so, that. So I think we can let's plan on heading toward nine. But if but if we got we've got some questions that come up uh, about eight, we we'll do that. We can do that first. Hey, and and as always, even this discussion today has helped me with a situation I was confronting this week of not accepting a situation that was my initial response was to accept it. And then I wanted to negotiate. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And so, and sometimes that's the, that is the rhythm of acceptance. We start to accept it. Then we back off. No, no, I'm not going. Then we go back in. And so that, that rhythm is okay too. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, I, I have a list where it's, just, it's actually one of the stages. It's called second thoughts. It's like we, you know, we go in there, we, we, we say, yes, I am an alcoholic, you know, and then, then, then people need to understand that then later you go like, maybe I'm not. It's like <laughs> rather than, oh, you've, you've, you've lapsed. It's like, no, no, let's go back and redo it again. And yeah. so that's, that's and right. boy, I'm, I'm with you. These, these, uh, these conversations help me on a daily basis. All right, you guys, I love you. See you next week. Change your life. Change your myth Cultivate your narrative With whomever you're with Then with glass in hand And children on one knee Bring some stories Bring your stories Back to me It ain't a crime To be a human Never be ashamed To be yourself Rest assured that whatever you're doing Will entertain me like nobody else So here's to us, my old friends Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children on me Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me